Good morning, good morning. How's everyone doing today? We're good, awesome. Isn't it so exciting to see what the Lord's doing all around us? Well, the beautiful part about what we want to be about at the Transit Church is we want to be about the Lord's business locally and globally, and he's given us opportunities to do that. So I'm super excited about everything that's been shared this Sunday, and thank you, Larson's. Let's hear it again for them coming. They came a long way to speak with us this morning, and just make sure you stop and talk to them in uh, the multi-purpose room before you head out. So with that said, as a sermon bumper showed, we're continuing our sermon series uh, in the month of January, which is called Abide, Abide, where we're looking primarily at John 15, and we're looking at abiding in Jesus through the spiritual discipline. So it's not just a sermon series on the spiritual disciplines, it's a sermon series uh, of abiding with our good shepherd through the spiritual disciplines. And uh, with that said, quick shout out to Joe Workman last week, yeah. bringing the noise. Woo-hoo. That was great. Oh, he's not here. Anyways, but that, was, that fed my soul. That was amazing. And uh, get excited. He's preaching again next week on fasting. So we're running it back. Get excited. Today we're talking about the spiritual discipline of reading and studying and abiding in the words of God. And often um, when pastors talk about God's word, they have a Rolodex of illustrations to illustrate what God's word is. Anyone here know what a Rolodex is? Some of you? Okay. Uh, uh, An iPad note list, bullet point list of illustrations. Anyways, um, often you'll hear them say, God's word is a car manual. That thing you shove in your glove box and you never read. And then when you do read it, you have no idea what it means, right? Like a car manual or God's word is a a map, a map to life. And the thing about the car manual and the map, those are great illustrations about God's word. There is truth. There are principles, precepts that guide us. It's so true. But um, the, the issue I have with those illustrations is how impersonal how impersonal those illustrations are. It, 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 it kind of uh, disconnects the word from the author. Disconnects the word from connecting with the author of life. And so the danger with seeing God's word as just a map to life is that you don't need God. You just need the map, right? And let me illustrate that to you. Who here uses Google Maps as their primary navigation system in their car? Yes and amen, right? Nobody, anyone still use Apple Maps? Some of you, Waze, obviously. Anyone here still print out MapQuest directions? Yeah. Nobody, okay, good, good, good. I thought I saw a hand in the booth. We'll pray for you. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, but for me, when I'm in my car, I never, I'll use Google Maps, but I hardly ever turn on the turn-by-turn direction. Anyone else here like that? Where you don't want, and here's the reason why, you don't want somebody else telling you what to do. Don't tell me how to drive. You know, that sweet lady who gets in, in 200 yards, turn right on X. You know, like, don't tell me that. I got the map all figured out myself, right? And uh, what, what do we call that? We call that pride, right? I don't want somebody else to speak to me through the map. I just need the map. And so what that looks like for me is um, if I'm taking a road trip, I'll put in the destination and I'll study and I'll interpret, I'll memorize, and I'll correctly apply the map to my life. And when I arrive safely at my destination, who gets all the glory? I do. I do. If the world was more like Nick Mudderzo on the roads, we wouldn't have as much traffic, right? We wouldn't have as many accidents. If everyone could just read and study the the map like I do. And so it creates this self-righteous legalism. And that's a danger I see, uh, I think, in my own life and in the church as we approach God's word as just this guidebook where then we get all proud and self-righteous when we go to God uh, and his word because we're just saying, I don't need God. I don't need him to humble myself and let this word search me. I'm going to dissect it and proudly interpret it 
and then I'm going to get self-righteous, and if everyone could just do what I do, the world would be a better place. And in contrast to that, who gets all the glory if when I turn on the turn-by-turn and that sweet British lady tells me where to go and I safely arrive at my destination, who gets all the glory? The lady. The lady who is speaking to me personally through the map. You tracking with me? That person gets all the glory for me arriving safe and sound at my final destination. And a common refrain on road trips now that my daughters are a little bit older is, Daddy, turn on the GPS. Please turn on the GPS. And I always joke. I'm like, I've never gotten lost. I just maybe have missed a few exits every now and then because I don't turn on the GPS. No big deal. But when they're crying out, Daddy, please turn on the GPS, what they're saying is this essentially is, Daddy, humble yourself. Place, your, place yourself in a posture to be led by another. Place yourself in a posture to be led by another. And so when we go daily throughout the day to God's word, the word of life, uh, the true food for our thirsty and hungry souls, when we go to God's word, we're, we're going to God's word humbly to be led by our good shepherd. And so all that to say is that Again, my common refrain with this sermon series is that our pursuit of the spiritual disciplines and of the spiritual discipline of Scripture reading is not to level up in your varsity level status of Christianity. No, no, no. The, the, the purpose of that, is, the reason we go to the disciplines is it should arise out of our deep dependency to be fed and to be led by our good shepherd, that our greatest daily need is to posture ourselves to allow his voice, the voice of Christ, to speak the loudest in our lives. And so today, I'm going to take a little hiatus from John 15. We're going to be in John 10 primarily today. We're going to read these verses out loud together, John 10, 3 through 5, and then I'm going to pray and we'll dive in. So John 10, 3 through 5, read these out loud with me. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Let's pray. Father, we come before you so grateful. We worship a God who speaks. We worship a personal God. We worship a God who gave his son out of love for us, that we could be redeemed and we could be reconciled. And so that you, we, we thank you that you've given us the opportunity to abide with you, Jesus, to rest in you, to let you lead and guide us and speak to us in our lives. We're not blind anymore. We're not orphans. We're not sheep without a shepherd. But Jesus, we have a great shepherd and he is enthroned as King of kings and Lord of lords. And so we worship you today. We're here for your glory. Thank you for gathering us. I pray up here that I would decrease and you would increase and I ask Holy Spirit that you would come and you would show us Jesus and that he would speak to us, speak to us through the word today. And I pray that today would be a great recalibration of our souls, a great refocusing on the voice of our shepherd leaving here. So Holy Spirit, come and stir our affections for Jesus today. Have your way with your word and your people today and we pray this in your name, amen. All right, well, um, in John 10, Jesus kind of makes another profound statement about one, who he is, and two, who we are. In John 15, Jesus makes a pretty audacious claim where he says, I am the true vine. And he's contrasting himself with all the failures of Israel as God's vineyard. And he's saying, I am the truer and better vine. Where Israel failed, I'm going to triumph. And then he says to his disciples, I'm the vine. Y'all are a bunch of branches. 
Y'all are dependent. Your life literally depends on you abiding and remaining in me. And then in John 10, uh, five chapters before John 15, in John 10, Jesus says, in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And so we see Jesus describe himself here as the good shepherd shepherd and the evidence of Jesus' goodness is the fact that this shepherd unlike all the other false shepherds the bad shepherds of israel this shepherd shepherd is willing to die is willing to die for the sake of his flock and jesus here is making again an audacious claim he is claiming the prophetic fulfillment that he is a prophetic fulfillment we see in ezekiel 34 of the good shepherd coming through the davidic line that was going to lead and feed and finally uh, righteously uh, shepherd the flock of God, Israel. And we also see, I believe, Jesus referring to Psalm 23, where in Psalm 23, that beautiful psalm, uh, the first verse is, The Lord, Yahweh, is my shepherd. So when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, I believe he's footnoting all the Old Testament prophetic prophecies about shepherds and saying i'm the fulfillment i am yahweh i am the lord and i am your shepherd you were created by me i am your creator and not just that you were created by me you were created for me you were created to know me to walk in relationship with me and then jesus goes and he says i'm the good shepherd and guess what that makes you y'all are a bunch of sheep right that's what he says and you can, you can be triggered by that, right? If, you, if, you're, if you're proud and you, if we don't believe that, that can be an offensive message. Of your, why do you, Jesus, would you say you're the vine and I'm the branches? Why would you say you're the light of the world and I'm walking in darkness? Why would you say that you're the shepherd and I'm, and I'm a sheep? Because at best, right, sheep are um, cute, uh, cuddly, fluffy, adorable, and at worst, right, they're uh, weak, right, defenseless easily influenced, prone to wander, right? That's what Jesus is getting at. And then Jesus goes a step further when he calls, essentially, all of humanity sheep, and their greatest need is to, to, to know and to follow and to answer yes to the call of the shepherd, calling them out by name to follow him. Jesus saying, if he's a good shepherd, we're all sheep. He goes a step further, and he says that if you're a sheep, you're a sheep that's constantly being fought over. Your sheep that's constantly being fought over, meaning this. There are, and this is what Jesus says in John 10, there are competing voices. There are competing voices always vying for the attention and the affection for the flock of God. Look at John 10, 10. Jesus contrasts himself with the thief and the good shepherd. The thief comes. This is the job description of the thief, the en en enemy, our adversary, the devil. The thief only comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And then Jesus says, Look at, the, look at the, the heart of Jesus for the flock. I came that they may have life, and not just life, abundant life. Have life abundantly. And so simply put, Jesus is saying, uh, you and I have a good shepherd whose heart is to give us abundant life. But also we need to know that we also have an enemy, an adversary, whose heart desire is to steal you from the fold of God and to destroy your life, to make your life miserable, and to change your eternal destination. To steal you, to kill you, to destroy you. Russell Moore, I was at an Acts 29 conference a couple years ago, and Russell Moore said something profound to this effect. He said, the enemy, we have to understand the enemy is not just trying to tempt us, he's trying to adopt us. He's trying to adopt us, he's trying to reclaim us. He's trying to win us back and woo us back, right? 
Because all of us have been stolen from the clutches of the devil, thanks be to our good shepherd. In 1 Peter 5, we just went through a sermon series on 1 Peter 5, where 1 Peter, uh, Peter says this to the early church. Be sober-minded, have sobriety of mind, and be watchful, be on the lookout. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And in the context of John 10, in the context of us being sheep, if I were to rephrase what 1 Peter 5, 8 is saying, I would say this, is that the devil himself is hungry for some roasted lamb. And y'all are in his crosshairs. That's what that's saying. The devil wants some roasted lambs. He's licking his chops. And all of us are in the crosshairs. We have to wake up to that, to that reality based off not of, uh, you know, whatever experience, based off of the clear, crystal clear teaching of God's word. Jesus knows best. The Holy Spirit inspired the scriptures and is clear as day telling us that there's competing voices vying for the attention, the affection, and the adoption of the flock. You might be saying, Nick, why are you sharing all this? What does this have to do with me studying God's word? Well, it seems as if what Jesus is saying and what he's getting at is that our very life as a sheep depends upon how closely we know and listen to the voice of our good shepherd. Like, there's a lot at stake because there's a lot of voices, especially today, there's a lot of voices that are constantly crying out to us. And it seems as if in John 10, Jesus is, is, is giving us a crystal clear illustration of our very life depends upon us knowing the voice of Jesus and staying as close to that voice as possible. John 10, 3 through 5. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Look at the heart of Jesus. If you're here today and in Christ Jesus, it's because Jesus himself, uh, John 10 says, has called you by name. Like he called out to Lazarus in the grave and said, arise, dead man be brought to life. I am the resurrection and the life. He's called you by name and brought what was once dead in your sins and trespasses and brought you back into resurrection life. Thanks be to God. And what Jesus is talking about this here is salvation, the effectual call of God. We first respond. God initiates our salvation. We respond to his call, his voice, the voice of our good shepherd saying, Nick, Leave your deadness, leave your life of sin, and come and follow me. What a great offer that Jesus has extended to us. But he continues in verses 4 through 5, and he says this, And when this good shepherd has brought out all his own, I love this picture, he goes before them. Sheep need to be led. Jesus goes before us to lead us. Every day our biggest need is to get on our hands and our knees and, and, and pray and say, Lord Jesus, I am a sheep. Would you and you alone lead and guide me? Would I be open to your voice today? So Jesus goes before them and the sheep follow him. For why? Because they know his voice. You, they know his voice. And then verse 5 says, a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee. They will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. What Jesus is saying in, in, in verses 4 through 5 is that his sheep, have a, should have a sense of stranger danger, right? That's what you teach your kids, stranger danger. If someone's voice is calling out to you and it's not my voice and they're telling you to get close to them, run for your life. That's literally what Jesus is saying in verses four through five. A stranger they won't follow, but they will run the other way. Why? Because they say, that's not the voice of Jesus. That's not the voice of my shepherd. So Jesus links, this is what I'm getting at. Jesus links our protection as sheep 
with knowing His voice, knowing His Word, letting His words abide in our hearts, so much so that we'll recognize counterfeit voices, the voice of false shepherds, of counterfeit shepherds, and we'll flee, we'll flee from those voices. And, the, and, and again, just to reiterate, here's why I share all that. There's a war. We have to wake up to this. There's a war, a battle going on for our souls. And I'm the first to admit this. As a fellow sheep with you, we sheep get really, really naive sometimes, right? And one, I think we get naive in how easily we shut out the voice of our shepherd. How easily this book here just stays closed. How easily we think that scripture reading, abiding in the words of our shepherd on a daily, hour-by-hour, uh, minute-by-minute basis is optional, as if there's no real need for it. As if, as, if, as if I'm okay without his leadership and guidance and his voice in my life. And going back to the illustration of staying close um, to your shepherd and hearing his voice, I have, I have three kids now, and two of my oldest are, you know, um, walkers, if you will, four and a half and two and a half. And so when we go grocery shopping, some of the parking lots here in Springfield, man, it's like, a, it's like a royal rumble. It's like a, you know, it's crazy, man. The parking spaces are like the size of a sardine box, and there's like, you know, 500 cars in the parking lot. And my kids' safety depends on them staying close. Stay close to daddy. You got to hear my voice. Don't get too far away so you can't hear my voice. I have your best interest in mind when I tell you to stay close, stay at my hip, right? Because why? There's there's a lot that can go wrong in that parking lot if you drown out the voice of your father. Because I can see things you can't see. I know the way that you should be going. Your biggest deal, don't look everywhere else. Just look at where I'm going and stay close to my voice. And we, I think we've lost that sense of dependency as the bride of Christ, as the flock of Christ. We've lost that dependency of saying, my biggest need is i got to keep my eyes daily fixed upon Jesus and see where he wants to take me and where he wants to lead me. And I have to listen to his voice. So one, we get naive in how easily we shut out the voice of our shepherd and keep, our, keep the word of God closed. But two... I'm going to do some meddling here. Sorry, forgive me. Two, we get naive in how easily we allow other voices to speak to us, to lead us, and to conform us, to conform us. And there's a myth we believe in the church today. And the myth that we believe is that every world in the, every voice in the world is morally neutral. That we, we believe that. And, the, and, and evidence of, of how we believe that is we believe we can consume, we can watch, we can listen, we can read anything this world puts in front of us with it having no negative or toxic impact in our heart and our mind and our souls. And scripture shatters the lie that the world is morally neutral ground. It shatters a lot. I have a ton of verses I can share for the sake of time. I'm only going to just share Romans 12 too, which says this. Do not be conformed to this world. The, the assumption behind that command is that the world is actively seeking to mold you and press you and conform you into its image, not into the image of Jesus. Do not be conformed to this world. Alternative, but be transformed. By what? The renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good 
what is acceptable and perfect. What a far greater invitation. How can we discern the will of God? Repeatedly in Scripture, God is crystal clear about what His will is. Uh, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Why? For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.2 would say, uh, abstain from sexual immorality. This is God's will for you. If we want to know God's will, what is respectable and, and, uh, and, 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 uh, and good and perfect, we need to get in his word. We need to get in his word. And the biggest tragedy I think I see, and, and I've seen this tendency in my own life and kind of see it in, in the church today, is, is it's not just that we believe every voice in the world is morally neutral, but it's the fact that we allow the voices in news, politics, pop culture, entertainment, every angry voice on social media, we allow those voices to speak more loudly and more frequently than the voice of our good shepherd in our lives. That, I think, is the biggest tragedy. We, no filter, just open doors, open gates, come and speak into my life. Fear, hatred, paranoia, uh, anxiety, worry, speak into my life a completely different worldview that's completely antithetical to the Christian worldview in my life. I'm an open door. Whatever you want to speak, whatever you want to say, I'm letting you come in. And that's, that is, uh, <laughs> is not wise at the very least. And you might be saying, Nick, oh, come on, you're crazy, man. Don't get too crazy on us. Well, let me just illustrate this for you. Everyone here, if you're honest with yourself, and if you're not, uh, if you don't answer yes to this question, you're most likely lying or you're uh, just kidding. Um, I'll say this. What's the first thing we do in the morning, church? Some of us praise God, first thing we do in the morning. Some of us, first thing we do in the morning is we read our Bibles, but a lot of us, what do we do? All right, what's going on in the news? Boom. I got, I got, to, I got to stay current on the news. It's 6 a.m., but I need to stay current on the news. And so we take a little dose of fear. We take a little dose of, of, of all uh, sin-cursed, fallen world and no uh, redemption, no hope of redemption. Just I got news for you. The news tomorrow and the news the next day and the news the next day is going to be bad news because we live in a fallen world, but we're sitting on the cure, right? We, we have hope to offer this world. Um, so we read the news, and then after we take a shot of the news in the morning, we chase that by uh, uh, going to Twitter and, and Facebook and and all of these angry voices that are, that are shouting at us. And then after that, we might read some blogs, and then we'll check texts and emails. So all that to say is this, is that before the clock strikes 7 a.m., you've hit the mute button on the most important voice in your life, and you've allowed every other voice in society to speak into your life on how you should live that day. Lead and guide you and direct you on what is most important for you that day. You're letting the world take you by the leash and, and lead you to where the world wants to go rather than the voice of our shepherd. And then we, we, that's our diet. That's our daily diet. And we kind of hit repeat on that throughout the day. Like that's kind of just the process, news, social media, email, text, blogs, you know, all that stuff. And then we wonder why we're sick and miserable and full of fear and hatred and rage. And it's because we've been hijacked by other voices. The flock of Jesus has been hijacked by other voices. We've allowed false shepherds to come and speak into our lives. And let me just say this, and I will move on uh, to some other stuff, but I, I want to say this. Please listen to me. And, and my heart, this is a heartfelt plea. This is not condemnation. This is just an invitation for us in 2021 to, to, not, um, to do things differently than we did in 2020. 
the lost and dying world doesn't need us to be more politically informed as much as they need the church to be radically conformed into the image of Jesus. Amen? Does the lost and dying world need the church to be just as fearful and full of hatred and anxiety about, about being informed, or does the lost and dying world need us to be radically and passionately transformed into the beauty and the likeness of Jesus? That's what the church, that's what the world needs from the church. And if that's what the world needs, then let's silence those voices that are seeking to conform us into their image and not the image of Christ. And so a call to repentance today would be this, would be this simple question. What are the voices that you have been allowing to instill fear and hatred and depression in your heart and your mind and your soul? And here's my invitation for the sake of unity, for the sake of unity in the bride of Christ, the precious unity that our Savior prayed for in John 17. Unity in the church, for the sake of unity in the church, for the sake of the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the advancement of the kingdom, pushing back darkness and ransoming souls from the pit of hell, for the sake of the advancement of the gospel, and for the sake of the glory of the name and fame of King Jesus, will we today, to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, silence, unsubscribe from, unfollow, mute, all the voices that are radicalizing us for the kingdom of darkness and not the kingdom of God. That's my heartfelt plea for us. In Jesus, the Holy Spirit inspired Colossians 3, 1 through 3. I love this. If then you have been raised with Christ, anyone here been raised with Christ? Thanks be to God. Amen. What's the invitation here? Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind, he says it again, verses 1 and verse 2. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, we've died to this world. We've been crucified with Christ, and we've been resurrected with him. Ephesians 2, 6 would say we're seated with him in the heavenly places. We're seated with him in the heavenly places in our retirement plan, verse 4. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will, will appear with him in glory. Do you know how important it is for us to be reminded of the, not just the theology, but the reality of what Christ has accomplished for us? And I feel like the invitation of our good shepherd today, what he extends to us, is church, the flock. The flock is panicked. We're looking around. We're looking down. We're looking fearful. Everyone's shouting. Everyone's yelling. We're, we're scared. We're nervous. And Jesus saying, look up. Look up and listen to my voice. You're citizens of heaven. You've been raised with me. Do you know who I am? Do you know how good you have it in me? Do you know where I'm seated? Do you know where you're seated? Do you know what awaits you? Do you know who's with you? Look up, look up, listen. Seek the things that are above. Seek the things that are above, a far greater invitation. How do we seek the things that are above? John 15, 7. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. We talked at length about this a couple weeks ago when we talked about prayer, but I love that phrase Jesus says, my words abide in you. The heart desire of Jesus is that his words 
of love, his words of joy, his words of kindness and truth would dwell and abide and remain in our hearts and our souls and his minds that the word of our good shepherd would be the air we breathe. And when Jesus says, let my words remain in you and, and abide in you, I believe what he's saying is, turn my voice on full volume 24-7 in your life. Turn my voice on full volume 24-7 in your life. And, and then the result that we see in John 15, and see what begins to happen. See what fruit begins to, to kind of blossom, if you will, in your life by you abiding in me, in my words, and in my love. Because when we abide in false shepherds, the fruit that we manifest is fear and hatred and confusion and depression. When we abide in the words of Jesus, the fruit that he promises to give us is joy and peace and abundant life and love, right? It's a beautiful invitation. He's shouting, let my voice be the loudest. And what scripture makes crystal clear is that there is no other shortcut to heart transformation in your life than the voice of your good shepherd taking up residence in your heart. There is no other way. There is no other shortcut than that. The chief surgical instrument the Holy Spirit uses to conform you into the image of Jesus is the word of God. John 17, 17, don't take my words for it. This is the prayer of Jesus in the upper room, the high priestly prayer. This is what Jesus is praying for his disciples when he says this. He says, Father, sanctify them by the truth. Jesus' heart for his bride is their sanctification, them becoming less and less like the world and more and more like him. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word, your word is the truth. Your word is the truth. How do we get sanctified? Well, Jesus says, through the word of God. That's how we get sanctified. In Hebrews 4.12, excuse me, Hebrews 4.12 would say this. For the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And so what we see with these verses is that the word of God is the chisel, where he hammers away at all the imperfections in our lives and beautifully molds and shapes and crafts us into the image and likeness of Jesus, right? The image and likeness of Jesus. And for the past couple months, I have never been this busy in my life, church. And it's been great, it has been awesome, but my, 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 it's been busy. And evidence of that is I have, this is a little personal, but uh, deal with it for the sake of the illustration. I have uh, these, these calluses on the bottom of my feet, okay? And it's like, when I walk barefoot, it's like walking on Legos in your house 24-7, okay? And I have yet to make an appointment with the doctor to get those calluses off my feet. I'm walking around in pain, walking around in pain, continually, continually. And let me tell you this, wishful thinking hasn't gotten rid of those yet, right? It hasn't. And wishful thinking, my biggest need is to humble myself and to place myself uh, uh, in, in, in the hands, essentially, of a physician with a scalpel in their hand, and they can begin to cut away at the deadness that's causing pain in my life. And literally, when they do that and they begin to gently scrape and to cut healing cuts into my feet, I'm going to literally leave that appointment and walk in newness of life. The pain will be gone, the newness and the peace and the joy will come. My life will actually get better. And I say that because I believe on this, that on a daily basis, you and I don't need to just read God's word. We need to read God's word, but we need to see it through this lens. We need to have an appointment every single day of our lives 
with the great physician and the good shepherd. The great physician and the good shepherd. We come humbly to God's word. Um, one of my pet peeves is when, um, and I saw this in, in my own life in seminary for so long, and, is when we come above God's word and we actually enjoy just the study and the, the dissection of God's word and we get into the original language and we should have a good hermeneutic, a good biblical uh, a tool set to interpret this accurately. Absolutely we should. And, and there is, uh, don't hear me say we shouldn't study doctrine. Theology is so important. Theology always wants to lead us to though doxology to worship. But my fear is whenever, and we have every morning uh, on Tuesday mornings, we gather the community group leaders and we call it Tuesdays with the text where we gather around the word of God uh, that's going to be preached on Sunday, every Tuesday morning. It's awesome. It's one of my favorite uh, times of the week. And every time we start, we make sure to posture our hearts and we pray this, Lord, we do not come above your word today. We don't come here like this is a, a group biology experiment when we're dissecting a fetal pig. What, the, what your word says is that we're the fetal pig and your word is going to search us. Your word is going to convict us. Your word is going to read us and transform us. We're not here above your word. We're not here just to lead a good uh, discussion or preach a good sermon. Holy Spirit, through the power of your word, you come and rock us this morning through your word. May it start in our hearts first. My biggest fear is coming to God's word and leaving hardened rather than softened. Because I've come to God's word plenty of time and I've left hardened rather than softened. And so every day as we come to God's word, we say, one great physician, I'm a man in need. Wherever there is impurity, wherever there is hardness to you, callousness to you, and callousness to the dying world out there, let this word search me and would you remove that with the scalpel of your word. And good shepherd, would your voice, I need to be led today into paths of righteousness, not in paths of wickedness. Good shepherd, would you come through your word? Would you, would you lead me in paths of righteousness? Holy Spirit, would you come and would you give me ears to listen to the shepherd's voice and eyes to see and to follow him? And the result of this, and, and all to say is a quick commercial break here. You might be saying, Nick, this is great. I have tried reading plans. I have tried uh, you know, to, to get in the word, but I keep failing. I, I, need a, I need a tool. I need some help. Yes, I hear you. Yes, I agree with you. But how do I do this? How do I implement this in my life? Well, um, you're in luck today, okay? Um, we, we, we have tried to make it as easy for you to get in the Word and get in that daily appointment with your Good Shepherd daily. And so we've uh, bought these things called CBR journals, Community Bible Reading Journals. Anyone here been using them? I've been using it for the past two years, some of you all. It's amazing. For the past couple of years, the, the intent of this is that uh, what it is is basically it's a journal that you use, and it's also a reading plan where uh, almost every day they're going to lead you to read through books of the Bible, one chapter in the Old and one chapter in the New every day. And corporate why the vision is as we all gather, grab these community, community Bible reading journals, we're reading through the same text of Scripture together. It's awesome. So when you're grabbing coffee or at your community group, you can be talking about what you're reading in Luke. Or, or what you're reading in, you know, whatever the Old Testament text is, you know, so on and so forth. And so all I have to say is that if you need a good reading plan for 2021, that daily appointment, we have CBR journals available for you free of charge uh, at that table in the back and also the table in the lobby. It'll be absolutely worth it. If you have no plan, that's a great opportunity, a great tool for you to connect with God every day. So grab one of those. Uh, they did cost us money. Feel free to drop us five, ten bucks in the offering table or just take it. Um, and uh, it's an investment that we're making 
in uh, your walk with the Lord. So table in the back and in the foyer, grab those journals. And the result, and I'm slowly wrapping up here, the result of us abiding, Jesus tells us in John 15, that as we get close to him, we cannot leave unchanged. We will bear fruit, is what he says. In John 15, 11, I love this. He says, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus speaks, the good shepherd speaks, not to condemn, not to shame, not to make you miserable. Jesus says that we have a shepherd who speaks. We have a God who has revealed his heart to humanity in his word, has given us his son, and uh, gone to great lengths to give us the testimony about what his son has accomplished for us. Jesus is saying, I've spoken these things. God speaks to us. Why? So that his joy might become our joy, and our joy might be full. And this is crucial for us sheep to understand, is this, is we don't have an ornery shepherd. We don't have a disgruntled, grumpy shepherd. We don't have a distant and aloof shepherd who wants nothing to do with your life. Jesus says, you have a good shepherd. That's the, one of the core realities of your life, is you have a good shepherd who has your best, best interests in mind. He is for you. He is not against you. You and I are no longer sheep without a shepherd. And every day, this good shepherd invites us to take his nail-scarred hand in ours and abide in his words of love and of joy and of peace and compassion and kindness and truth. And when we begin to see Jesus rightly and see his word rightly, it becomes the easiest thing in the world to start abiding in his words and abiding in his truth because of this reality in John 6, and I'll wrap up with John 6. John 6, 66 through 69. In John 6, Jesus says some confusing, hard things to say, and uh, a lot of uh, fringe disciples ended up leaving Jesus after what Jesus said. And this is how uh, <clears throat> the account goes. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with Jesus. Jesus said some stuff. They're like, you know what? That voice is no longer needed in my life. I'm going to go follow other voices, better voices in society, other false shepherds. Jesus isn't the good shepherd. I'm going to go listen to other voices. And then Jesus sees that, and then Jesus looks at the 12. This is one of my favorite passages in Scripture. Jesus looks at the 12, and he asks them this question, do you want to go away as well? Do you want to go away as well? And then Peter says this. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, I love this. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Trinity Church, there is nowhere else to go for the words of everlasting life that you and I need day by day, minute by minute. And it may, may be that deep dependency and desperation for the voice of truth, the voice of our good shepherd to lead and guide us that causes us to run full sprint to his voice every single day. That this voice, the voice of our good shepherd, will be the voice that we put on full blast and full volume in our hearts and in our home and in our minds. So with that said, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before you so grateful, 
so grateful for the gift of your son, so grateful that you speak and you've revealed uh, your great, unthinkable love to us, Lord Jesus. You're worthy of all honor. You're worthy of all praise. You're, you're worthy to be followed. You're worthy to be listened to, Lord Jesus. What a great invitation you give to defenseless and weak and, and helpless sheep that you came running for us. You called us out by name and you said, come and follow me. And every day, every minute of every day, we have that opportunity to look up and to listen to our good shepherd. Thank you for being so good to us, Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you come and would you uh, just, just apply this truth to our hearts and to our minds, Holy Spirit. Give us eyes to see the goodness of Jesus, the goodness of our shepherd. Holy Spirit, would you shatter and break off all lies that we've believed about your word, all lies we've believed about your posture towards us, and Holy Spirit, would your voice triumph in our lives above all of the other voices? And Holy Spirit, would you convict us right now, right where we're seated, those watching on the live stream and um, those in person, would you invite the Holy Spirit right now, wherever you're seated, invite the Holy Spirit now and say, come search me, O Lord. Come reveal to me other voices that you want me to silence in this season. For the sake of your glory, for the sake of my, my sanctification. God, we thank you that you're gentle and lowly. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you convict, you reveal sin in our lives to heal us and to lead us in paths of righteousness. Holy Spirit, would you do that today with your bride? We love you. We thank you for your word. And we pray that here and now at the Transit Church in 2020, we would get on our face before you every day and say you and you alone will lead us because you and you alone are the only voice worthy to be followed on this side of eternity. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.